Good morning, church. Great to see you. Hey, um, fantastic to be in Main Church this morning. Louise and I, we love, we love being out here. We're normally involved out in the kids' ministry, but to be out here with all of you guys is, is very special to us. We love being able to come involved and, and be a part of the corporate atmosphere that's built during praise and worship. So we just, we just, um, we love you guys, and we just, um, we really love hanging out here on a Sunday morning. You know. Uh, there's a, there's, a, there's a real sound coming through, a message coming through in the church at the moment about, about the whole thing, about reaching out, about harvest. You know, this, this thing with um, the meetings with Pastor Anwar, it's not just a church meeting, they're outreach meetings. And as a church, God is talking to us and he's encouraging us and he's, and, and he's wanting us to become more and more aware that, that while we're here on earth, we've got a job to do. You know, we don't just come here to, to, have, to have our meetings and have our encounters with God and that's it. Because if that was it, then we become a bit of a church clique and we miss what God's doing. You know, God calls each of us to, to get into the river, the river with him, the river of life, the river that's flowing. And, you know, and to be part of the river is to be getting on board of what God's doing. So I've got a message this morning that I want to share. And uh, I, <laughs> I was telling Pastor Lynn, I, I had about four weeks' notice to do this and I, I had something really cool prepared, something that I was excited about. And then on Thursday, Wednesday actually, um, during a trip to Auckland, I, it was almost like all of a sudden I felt what I was passionate about it just sort of dropped, just drifted away and I felt like I needed another message. I felt God speaking to me. So I've got something that's fresh for me this morning, something that God is speaking to me about and something that I'm believing will, um, will bless us. But what I want to do, what I encourage you to do is please, is, is to open your hearts to what God would want to say to you. Don't just listen to the words that I'm saying and think, oh, the... the, the Hopefully nice words, but, don't, but don't, don't, um, don't just do that. Just have a heart. So God, what do you want to say to me this morning? So Father, we just pray right now. Father, we lift up what I've got to share. I just pray that the word as it goes out, Lord, that it would be your word speaking into people's hearts this morning. I pray that as we open our hearts, Lord, that your word would not fall to the ground, Lord, but Lord, that their open hearts would, be, would embrace it and hear what you're saying to the church and what you're saying to us as individuals this morning. And we all say... Very cool. Okay, so I'd love you to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. And I, um, I'm going to read from verse 1 there. And um, I'm sure the words will come up behind me up here. But in Judges, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of God, or in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And, and, we, and it tells us that during these times, the, Israel, the Israelites began to find themselves hiding in dens and caves up in the mountains because they were so fearful of what the Midianites were doing to them. And it also said that whenever they sowed, they would sow uh, plants, a seed into the ground to, to grow crops to eat in that, that the Midianites and the, um, at this time the Amalekites as well, that they would come in and they would destroy the land. And so there would be nothing left for, for the, the people of Israel and nothing left for, for the, the animals, and, and so they were just, uh, and they were just in a bad place. And, and, and just carrying on from verse five, it says, "For they, being the Midianites, they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord." You know, this, this whole message, this whole um, chapter in Judges chapter 6, 
comes at a really turbulent time in the history of Israel. When you look at what had happened, the, the Israelites they had come out of Egypt through the desert for 40 years. Um, Moses had passed away. Joshua had been raised up. And Joshua had led the Israelites into the promised land, into the land that God was wanting to give them. They'd driven out nations. And, and what had happened was is that they were now living in the land. And so, so, but, so the Bible tells us that, that, that at the time that Joshua died, that there were still certain peoples living in the lands. They hadn't completely driven them out at that stage. And that when Joshua died, and that when the generation that grew up with Joshua died, Judges chapter 2 tells us that a new generation arose that neither knew their God nor knew of the things that God had done for them in the past. And that this nation, what had happened was that they, they had, and not knowing God, they had turned away from God. They let their hearts turn away from God and they turned to look at what the other nations that were stood on that land, what they were doing. And that they began to look at the gods that they worshipped. And, and, and they began to think maybe they're onto something. So their hearts turned away from God and they turned to these other things. And they, and, and they, and they moved towards them. And so um, and they went through this time where they moved away from God and God would see that. And he would, he would let them go. And, 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 and in that, um, what would happen is that nations would rise up against them, against the Israelites. And they would begin to impress, oppress them and press in on them and, and come and, and steal from them, attack them and rob them. And so, and then, and then, as the history went on, the Israel would turn back to God, and, and that God, and they would say, "God, help us." God would raise up a deliverer, and 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 he would he would deliver the Israelites out of their hands and take them into a period of peace. But it's interesting, and, and this verse would happen over and over again. It was like a cycle. In Judges chapter two nineteen, it says, "And it came to pass that when the judge was dead." So the judge who would rescue the Israelites and and and, and bring them out of, out of bondage. Um, when he died, that they, being the Israelites, that they reverted, they reverted back to what they, what they were doing previously. And they behaved even more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. So you've got this, over this serious time of, of turning away from God, getting beat up by the people in the land, turning back to God, you've got this, um, this uh, erosion of the relationship between God and his people Israel. So much so that every time they fell, they'd fall deeper than the nation before them. And when they turned back to God, they wouldn't come back probably to the same measure. So there's just this, this continual erosion and loss of relationship with God. And so what happened was, in Judges chapter 6, you had a people, the people, the people of God, who, who no longer knew their God. No longer knew their God, no longer knew the things that he had done for them. No longer knew and were aware of how much he loved them, how passionate about them he was. No longer knew the things that, that he was wanting to accomplish and do in their lives, the way that he, the blessings and the favour that could come if, if they lived with him. You know, that time is not too different to the time we live in today. Now, I look at my parents and their parents when they were, when they were young. They, 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 they were a church-going lot. And when I say at my parents' generation, many of them went to church. I listened to some of the stories, not some of them didn't like church at that time, but they still went to church. And so, but, but you look at, and, and so today, uh, a, a lot of them have a knowledge of God, even though they don't go to church anymore. But there's a new generation arising that would even deny the existence of God. You know, as each generation, as the ebbs and flows, they fall further and further away from God. And so the message I want to share this morning out of this is I want to, I want to pull out a couple of keys as to what God did to reach out to a nation of people who didn't know him any longer. And how he used the man and, 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 and what he did with that man, to, to reach out to a nation and win a people back to him. And I'm hopefully, 
I want to make that relevant to what God's saying to us today as a church. How each of us as individuals are called to get involved, to participate with what God's doing, to stand in the river of God and to flow with Him. Otherwise, what happens is we're sort of sitting on the riverbank watching things go by and, partic- and just spectating, not participating, and we, we fall ourselves out of the life flow. We find ourselves falling out of the life flow of God. So if you're writing notes this morning, the title of my message is, and I changed this title about ten times, but I think I've got it. So it's, uh, the title of my message is, A Loving God Reaching Out to the Lost Through Us. A Loving God Reaching Out to the Lost Through Us. And so, I just I want to start this morning. I know I've already started, but I, I want to I want to move this morning. Um, we'll go back to verse six. And so, verse six in, in Judges chapter six, it says, "So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord." I want us to take a look at what God's response was when the Israelites began turning away from what they're doing and began to cry out to God again. Now, the first point I want to make this morning, this is what I'll talk about, but if you're writing notes, write this down, is that we need to have a revelation and we need to constantly remind ourselves, it's a big point, we need to have a revelation and constantly remind ourselves of God's love and compassion for the lost. You know, if we have a revelation of how passionate and, and, and how hungry and, and what his desires are to reach out to the lost, it, it, it can only but shift us and change us and bring us into, maybe bring us into line with what he's doing. So verse 6, so that people cried out to God. So, uh, and what happened after that was in verse 8, or verse 7 it says, and it, uh, so, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove out and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So in essence, as soon as the people cried out, God sent them a prophet who said, who, who, who said um, I have done all these good things for you. You have not obeyed me and pretty much implying that's why where you are. That's, that, that, that's, so the problems that you're struggling with is because you haven't obeyed me. You know, <laughs> you'd almost be tempted to think that was a message of I told you so or I served you right. But that's not the message. That's not the heart of our God. That's not the heart of our God, and, and it was something more than that. You know, and, and so the reason, reason I know that is, is that look at what he did next. Okay, so, so the people cried out, he sent a prophet to speak to them. And next, we, we hear about the story of Gideon. And so what happened was is that Gideon was, was a man of Israel, and he was, he was one of the people who was hiding out in a, in a wine press, and he was, he was hiding from the Midianites, and he was threshing wheat. And so what happens is that God sent an angel to speak to Gideon. And so, not only did God send the prophet to speak to the people and remind them of his goodness, the good things he'd done to them, and, and tell them, and remind them of, of, of that he wasn't to blame for what they were, he hadn't done this to them. It wasn't him, that wasn't his heart. He hadn't done this to them. But the next thing he did was he reached out to a man 
reached out to, to, to engage a man, to, to speak into a man, to, to get a man to rise up. And so that man could go out to the people and meet the people in their place of need and, and hopefully um, open up the way where they could come back to God again. Something that God always does. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a man who would, or a woman who would say yes to God, who would say yes to God and say, God, I will go for you. So let's have a look at what happened here. So in verse, verse 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And then Gideon said a few things back to him, which sort of um, pretty much he was struggling, struggling with that whole statement. And then in verse 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? You know, it's interesting that you know, we, we think that God loves us, and he does love us. He's more passionate about us than what we could imagine. But, you know, he, he reached out to Gideon and his whole interest and his whole heart desire, what his heart was beating for was the nation of Israel, the people who didn't know him any longer. You know, God tells, uh, in, in, this, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus tells the story of, of the, 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 the shepherd who had hundred sheep. And, and so what happens, he come in one day and, and he had 99 sheep was there and one of the sheep were missing. And, and, and maybe some of us would have been happy with the 99, that's a good number of sheep to have. But, um, but no. The, the, the shepherd was so concerned, even though he loved the 99 sheep, even though he was cool to hang out with the 99 sheep, all their bleating and, 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 and all that, his heart was beating and his heart yearned and longed for the, the missing sheep. And so it's almost like, even though we're in this place, God loves us, he longs for the people who don't know him. He longs for them. It's interesting Gideon's response in that. You know, Gideon's response was, if we, if we go back to, to um, we go back to, to verse 13, we, 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 where God said that, that oh, verse 12, we can see God, um, God is with you. The angel said, God is with you. Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midian. You see, the thing about Gideon, he had this belief. He had this belief that God had left him. And often, often it's easy for us to look at, at the people who are out in the world and we can see the problems that they have and we can see the struggles that they have and then we can see the sin that's in their life. And we, it's easy in those times to judge and think, well, I can see your problems is because of your sin and, 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 and we can sort of see that, that, that God is, is sort of God is, is doing these things to these people because of the bad things that they're doing. And so Gideon was sort of of that mindset. God, he, we've, we've sort of turned away from God. God has forsaken us. He's left us. He's gone far away. But when you look at verse 1 of that chapter, it says that God delivered them into the hands of the Midianites when they turned away from him. To deliver someone is, is effectively to, 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 to hand them over, to give them. So, for example, if I, if I had... Um, uh, a $20 note, and I asked Pastor Lynn to, to, give me the, to, to um, take the $20 note from me, I would, I would open my hand, Pastor Lynn would walk across here, and she would take the note and go and sit back down again. What's happened is, I haven't shifted from the $20 note. The $20 note has moved away from me. You know, so there's this whole picture, this whole picture of God, and that he hadn't moved away from his people. His people had moved away from him. He was still standing there. 
He was, he sort of, he, his people rebelled. They turned away from him. He opened up his hand because they didn't want to stay there any longer. God won't force us to stay in relationship with him. He will willingly, if, if we purpose, if we purpose to, to rebel and turn away from him, he'll open his hand and he'll let us walk away. There's this picture of God standing there in the same spot that he was once before, waiting for his people to turn back to him, waiting for his people to turn around again. And it's almost like as soon, as soon as they cried out, and God was there, he was waiting, still on the same spot. He sent the man, he spoke out. He told them of his goodness. And he told them, what's happened to you? It's not my heart, I didn't want that to happen to you. It's because you did this, this and this, but that's okay, but it just wasn't me. I need you to know it wasn't me. And then he sent, and then he, then he reached out to Gideon, and he was reaching out to Gideon to send Gideon. You know, the whole thing about it, we need to realize God is passionate and hungry. He longs, he earns for the people who are out there, not on this place. He loves us. We're the 99. There's way more out there, I know. It's a bad analogy in that sense. But he, his, his, his desire and his, his, um, just everything about him, he wants, he wants to reach out to them. You know, otherwise, why would we be here as a church? If it was just about us, surely we'd go to heaven now. I mean, why would we stay here? We only stay here because we've got a job to do. There's a people to reach. The people to reach. It's a bit like the story of the prodigal son. You see the heart of the father in that one as well. The son came to him and said, Father, let me go. I don't want to be here any longer. Let me out of this place. The father opened up his hand and let him walk away. But we know that the father, he didn't forget about his son. He held him in his heart. He, learned, he yearned, for, yearned for him. He longed for him. And, and we know that when the son came back, the father was out there looking for him, waiting for him. He would have been out there day after day after day. God's heart and passion for those who don't know him is, is, is intense, far beyond what we could imagine. You know, unless we, unless we allow ourselves to constantly be aware and constantly remind ourselves of, of, of God's passion for the lost, it's easy to become indifferent easy to become indifferent. I felt, I felt convicted on this again. Now I work with people who don't know God and, and sometimes you, you, you hear some of the stuff they get up to and it might be funny but sad. Um, and, 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 you can just, and you can almost come to the accept that's where they are and, become, and, that's, and that's okay. They don't want to hear about the message of the gospel so that's them and become indifferent. It's easy to become indifferent. Each of us, we need to be asking God, God, show me your heart for the unsaved. Show me your heart for my neighbours. Show me, let me feel what you feel for them. You know, and as we do that, as we, 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 by doing that, we're effectively submitting ourselves to him. We're effectively opening up our hearts. We're making room for him to input and feed into us. And as we do that, then, then, then all of a sudden it will begin to shift the way we think and feel. I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm gonna, I want to move on. I want to come back to that. That's good. That is good. That was, wasn't in my notes. That just came to me then, so that's a good. Um, you know, so just point one again is we need to have a revelation and constantly remind ourselves of God's passion and heart for the lost. We can't lose that or we become indifferent. Point two is we need to understand the ripening process. That's an interesting point. I know. I'll, 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 let me expand that. 
You know, so we need to understand the ripening process. You know, it's the ripe fruit of a tree that we're meant to take off the tree. The tree that isn't ripe is meant to stay on the tree. But there are things we can do to assist the ripening process. And you guys are probably thinking, what the heck is he talking about? That's okay. You know, I remember as a kid, I'll, come, I'll explain that a bit soon, but, but as a kid I remember going to my nana and granddad's house. They used to live in, in, in actually Jellicoe Street in Hastings. And they had like the coolest place. It wasn't because of their house, it was because of what, what was outside their house. And like I was a person who absolutely loved fruit. And so they had this massive, huge, fully grown apricot tree. And during apricot season, there were more apricots on this tree than what I, than what I could even possibly eat, than probably what the whole neighbourhood could eat. They had this massive, two massive Fijoa trees. I love Fijoas. But in the middle of this apricot tree, and in the middle of this Fijoa, uh, yeah, the Fijoa trees were two huge mandarin trees. And these mandarin trees, they were like enormous. They probably... Um, mm, probably a third of the way up to the roof maybe, but they were big and they were out. And the mandarins on the tree they were huge. They were big suckers. They were really big. And, um, and they, were just, they were just all over the place. And so during mandarin season, there were heaps of mandarins on the tree. And so what would happen was, is that, oh, there was one other thing. Uh, not too far, probably a quick sort of um, maybe 20-second walk or a five-second run. There was, a big, there was a sheet, and behind the sheet there was this big hole in the ground that my granddad would always dig. And he would put all the rubbish, all the sort of peels and the fruit stuff and anything that could be disposed of, he'd put it into the hole in the ground. And then, then when that hole was full, he'd fill it over and dig another hole. So you can imagine me, I used to love going to this place because I'd run, I love mandarins, I'd run to the mandarin tree, I'd fill my pockets up with these mandarins. I'd put them, um, pockets in my shirt, pockets in my pants, everywhere I, I probably should have got a bag, but maybe I wasn't smart enough at the time. But, but I just had like, just, uh, pockets of bulging, and then I, uh, as many as I could fit in my hand, I, w- I would take it around to this hole, and I would stand there. And because they were ripe, you know what it's like when you pluck a, a ripe mandarin off the tree? It, the, the stem comes into the mandarin, you pull the mandarin, and half the skin gets left behind on the tree. Sort of know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I like that. and then like, almost in two peels, the whole skin comes away because the thing's ripe. And then these, these things are great because if I was... Um, respectful to the mandarin, I might break it in half before I eat it, but generally I'd eat these things whole. I mean, I just had so many of them, just throw them in and I'd gorge myself silly. And after emptying my pockets and emptying my hands, I'd go back for seconds, thirds, until I got sick of the things, but I was always back next time I was there. The thing about it was, a couple of months earlier, those mandarins in that tree would have been small green things. And there's no way I was interested in picking those small green things off the tree. I mean, could you imagine? Because yeah, they're not right. So you, you pick them off and that stem which, which pulls half the skin off for you doesn't pull any skin off at all. And if I tried to extract that, that mandarin out of the hard outer shell that was around it, try and peel that skin? I mean, has anyone tried to peel a green mandarin? Oh, crazy, waste of time. You know what? Sometimes people are like fruit too, people who don't know God. Sometimes... They're ripe for the picking. And other times, they're not. There's this hard outer shell that they're, not, that they're holding on to and they're not willing to let go. And sometimes what happens is we, we can reach out and we can speak to people and try and do things, uh, try and um, preach the gospel to them, try and invite them to church. And what happens is that, is that they, they turn us down, they might react, they might, might do something to make us feel stink embarrassed or, 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 and want to never try that again because of the rejection. It's just because I'm not right. 
It's interesting, you go back to Judges chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, and I know I've read it once, but then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them in the hand, into the hand of Midian for seven years. That whole seven thing is, I've never done this before, but you always know that, that numbers have meaning in the Bible. And so I, I decided Google's a great thing, and so I looked up, I looked up, I did this Google search for the meaning of the number seven in the Bible. Really, really interesting. And so, and the number seven, for those who don't know, I'm sure many have gone ahead of me and have already done this, but this, this is just good for me to say it again for myself, but I'm sure some others will get blessed as well. But the number seven is a picture of, of completeness or perfection. And you think, well, how is it, how is that sort of work? Well, really cool, because it says you take like, the, the perfect number four from the earth, from the Perfect number four, like north, south, east, west, the perfect number four. And you take the perfect divine number, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three. And you take four and you take three. And you take earth being crowned with heaven, a man being connected with God. And all of a sudden you've got completion, you've got perfection. So this whole number seven was, 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 was sort of like cool. And so then you look through the Bible, there's lots of areas in the Bible where you see the number of seven. See the number seven. You, see the, you see that Noah, when he went into the ark, and, and he went into the ark and he waited seven days for the rain to come. And in and, and, and the book of Peter, it talks about God's long-standing patience with the people of, of the t- that time before his judgment came. And so that picture of seven talks about God's, the completion of his patience. You talk about how, how the, the priests, when they go into, um, had to go into the service of the temple, they would have to consecrate themselves for seven days. And it talks about being fully and completely consecrated and set apart for God. And there's just on and on throughout the Bible. And the mercy seat, when they used to sprinkle the blood across the mercy seat, talking about the sacrifice of Jesus, talking about when the sacrifice of Jesus came, it brought perfection, it brought completeness. So the Israelites were, hand, were basically in the, um, caught up and, and handed over to the Midianites for seven years. And so that could almost be a picture of sin having done its full completion or, or, or full cycle of a people turning away from God, turning away to something else, and stepping into something that was enticing, something that looked good, and then only to be hit with the plain reality of the consequences of sin, and, and, and feeling the suffering and the pain from it, and then realising that this is not the place they want to be, and doing that full 180 degree turn back to God, and coming back to God. The people of Israel at that time, they'd gone full cycle, that, that whole, it, was like, it was like there was completion, they were ready to turn back to God, they were ripe, for the picking. They were ripe for the picking. A lot of people we reach out to, it's great when they're ripe for the picking and they say yes to our, to, and they're open to hear the gospel. That's great. There's other people who are like those green mandarins on the tree. They're not ripe. But we can help in the ripening process. I just love what Pastor Mike said the other night to the leaders after the prayer meeting. He said that... Um, he talked about how sometimes we reach out to people, but they're not ready to be invited to church. They're not ready to be to be um, to have the gospel preached to them. But people are all. But we've we've always got the opportunity to reach out and love people, and to serve the needs of people, to meet the needs of people. As we reach out and we love people and, and we meet the needs of people, what happens is a relationship is formed. Channels are established. Communication is established and there's open channels where their hearts over time will open. And when you start talking about meeting the needs of people and building relationships, then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more achievable. You know, you look around 
in all the circles that we mix with as a church, in our neighbourhoods, in our job, workplaces, for those who've got kids, in the school ground, on the sports field, wherever. We've all got the ability to reach out and build relationships to meet needs and to serve the needs of others. You know, a lot of us, if we're doing it for ourselves, if we're just sort of looking for friendship for ourselves, then what happens is we'll get to a certain number of people, we'll get to a certain level of comfort, and then we'll stop and we'll become complacent because it's about us. But when we start to think strategically, when we start to recognise and understand God's passion and heart for the lost, and we realise that as, as a body of people, the church, that we're called to stand up and to participate in what God's doing at this time, then we can be a lot more strategic in how we do things. And when we're strategic, we can think long term. Just because someone turns down our, um, our, our advances one day, or our, our advances, <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> Um, doesn't mean they do it a second day. I wrote, just Pastor Lynn, I'm, I'm pulled off the stage soon. But uh, my father, uh, my father, he, he, he doesn't know the Lord, but I remember him as uh, um, when I was searching and I was looking. He he had a, a friend at um, at work who worked with him. You guys would remember some would remember Becky and Ravoy Renell. So Ravoy, he worked, a lot of people called him Roy, but Ravoy was his name. He worked with my dad. And he would always have a beer with my dad. My dad would say, he would say, oh, I like Ravoy. He always had a beer with me. He knew that he was a church-going person, but he always had a beer with my dad. So there was a need. What happened was I had a hunger for God, and I started getting involved in the Jehovah's Witness Church. Because I said, I pray, God, I want to go to church, send someone to me, and they came. I was... <laughs> I was, right, I was right for the picking. They just got there first. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a, a, a friendship and a relationship established between Ravoy and my father. So there was, a, there was a problem. My parents were very concerned about the Jehovah's Witness Church. So they sent me to Ravoy. There was something established there. And when the moment of need came, because the relationship was there, who was the person that my parents turned to? Now, all of us, our friends, maybe all the people that we, we, we see around us, maybe there's green fruit, they're not ready. But we can help the ripening process. We can reach out. We can make friendship. And so, I mean, I, I know with our neighbours, there's been times, and it's been very hard in recent years of busyness in there, but I always look for opportunity to help them. We had a family move across the road, and they, were, um, they had a fridge, and they had a whole lot of stuff, and there wasn't that many helping, so... So I went over and I saw they, there was a need there. So I got a couple of the other neighbours. We all came and helped and we went and got a trolley from someone else's house and we helped them get it, get it in. And that's sort of kind of a hard family in terms of they're not very open to us. Maybe they know we go to church, I don't know. But, but it's just a matter of, of reaching out, meeting a need, serving others, thinking strategically. I want to build a relationship because I know how passionate my God is about those who don't know him. I want to be a part of that. I want to get in the river. Just before I finish, because I know I need to finish, but I just, can I say one more point? One more point. Just, I'll, I'll get my hand smacked afterwards if I, <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. You know, in Matthew, Matthew 22, there was this time where there's a group of people called the Sadducees, 
And a Sadducee who was a lawyer came to Jesus trying to test him and trying to trick him. Saying, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? And Jesus, most of us will know the story, Jesus talked about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength. And then he didn't just give him the one answer, he sort of, he sort of gave part B of the answer as well. And he said the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbour as ourselves. In essence what he was saying is you need to love God and you need to love people. And he said oh, everything else is written in the Bible. Everything else that's about God and about what's happening in the Bible is sort of summarised in those two things. Love God, love people. I'd love to suggest to you today that unless we learn to encounter and engage God's love that we can't truly love people. You know, if I took an extension cord and, and there was a, a, a plug just over here and there was maybe, there's, there's a speaker here, or say, let's say there's a light down here and I wanted to connect the light to the plug that's on the wall but the light doesn't fit because the cord's too short. If I took an extension cord, the extension cord it needs to connect into the wall socket and, and then connect into the light. No good connecting into the, into the light unless it's in the wall socket. Or vice versa, no good connecting into the wall because it's not connected into something else. Each of us are called to love God, to love people. Now Gideon, and I haven't talked too much about Gideon, that's fine because that's not what I felt God was going. It's interesting, just to summarise a quick thing, is that God came to Gideon and he said to Gideon, um, you're a mighty man of valour. And Gideon says, how can I be that? I can't. I'm not a mighty man of valour. Why has all this happened to us? What, how can God be with me? All this bad stuff's happened. He's forsaken us. And then, and then um, the angel said to him, well, now go in, in the power that you have and save Israel. And he said, oh, how can I do that? I'm the, my clan's the smallest. I'm the least of my family. I'm inadequate. I can't do it. It's too difficult. He was fearful. He was timid. And then what happened after that is that... Is that um, he said to the angel, he said to God, God, if it's truly you speaking to me, let me offer a sacrifice to you. And, the angel, and, and just hang around for a bit while I go and prepare the sacrifice. And so what happened is the angel, angel it's a little bit debatable whether it was the angel or whether it was the Lord as an angel, because it keeps saying the Lord said this, the Lord said that. So, and, and, but the Lord stood, sat there and said, I'll wait for you. So Gideon went away, he prepared it, he put the meat on the, on the rock and the bread on the rock. And as he did that, the angel touched the sacrifice with his staff or his stick and fire split up from the rock and consumed everything. And then the angel disappeared. And it was at that point that Gideon realised that, my goodness, it was God. He was speaking to me. And so and then it started to come, it started to, um, uh, he started to realise that God was with him. And then after that time, straight after, God said to right now, go down and pull down that altar that your father's got up there, that altar to Baal, and establish an altar for myself. And the Bible says that Gideon did that at night because he was fearful of what the people would think. So he did it at night. So even after realising that God was speaking to him, he was still had that fearful timidity about him, still a little bit uncertain, a bit unsure. But I want, to see, I want you to see what just happens here. And, this, and I'll finish on this point. It says, um, just bear with me while I find it. We'll just take a small break here. Um, okay. Right, so, okay. My goodness, this is gone. You know what? Isn't it funny how you lose stuff when you need it? It's okay, I'll just, I'll go through it. It 
Gideon, in Judges chapter 6, verse 33 to 35, it says this, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and crossed over and encamped in Israel, effectively. So all of a sudden there was a crisis. And then it says this, this is the key point. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and these people gathered behind him, and those people gathered behind him, and they all came to meet him. What happened was, that all these, these Amalekites, they came in in a mass, all together at once. And there was a crisis. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon Gideon and he changed into a different person. He went from being fearful, timid and unsure and not knowing what to do. He went from that to someone who was assertive. Someone who started barking the orders, started standing up, showing strength, showing courage, showing leadership. And so he went from being one person to a different person. And what happened to him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now it's interesting, I heard heard this um, preached once and I went and looked up on the internet and... um, if you went back to the original words, the original Hebrew words of the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and if you read it literally, you would say that God came and put Gideon on like a glove. God came and put Gideon on like a glove. If I had a glove here and just, it just flapped around, it would be nothing. But if I put my hand inside the glove, all of a sudden, it's a different prospect. If I went to get a glove and try and move this bottle, the glove would just flap around. If I put my hand inside the glove, the glove could do way more. And you know, I, I just, I was, I was speaking to someone, actually I won't even go there, but, but I won't even go there, no. But um, he came. Gideon had an encounter with God. God got on the inside of Gideon. God penetrated and got on the inside. God, God influenced and penetrated his soul, spirit, his feelings, emotions. He changed into a different person. As someone who was fearful and timid, he became bold and courageous. I mean, was it really Gideon or was it God? I put my hand in the glove. Is it my hand or was it the glove? Probably my hand, the glove on top of it. Gideon effectively became God. Either way, God had an, uh, Gideon had an encounter with God. He allowed God to get in. And it was after he allowed God to get in, he connected with God. It was then that he stood up and he began to speak out and he was able to connect with the people. Before that, the people, Gideon was having a, a, a sort of a mind conversation, an intellectual, logical conversation with God and nothing really changed. It wasn't until he had an encounter with God in here that he truly connected with God and shifted the way he was. If we're going to be effective and if we're going to be a a church that gets in the river and gets with the program of what God's doing, not only do we need to have a revelation of God's... I need the music team up, please. Not only are we going to have a revelation of the the music team (laughs) coming up on the stage... Not only do we need to have a revelation of God's love and passion for the lost, not only do we need to understand the ripening process, but we need to be people who would engage our God. Not just come and, like church, when we come to church on a Sunday, we don't just come to sing songs. We come to open our hearts, open our spirits. We come to give out to God from the depths of who we are. And as we give out, there's, there's a pouring in. There's an exchange that takes place. And then we go out different. We go out thinking different. We go out impacted and changed in our spirits because God gets in and then we're more effective out there. 
God's love shines through us when we go out there. Is it us out there or is it God out there? Us cloaked in God. His spirit dwells in our inner being. Just as we finish this morning, I just got this, this is urgency on me. This is urgency. Is that as a church, we don't want to be indifferent. Where are we today? Where are we today? How effective are we today as, as individuals? Are we with the program? Are we sitting on the side of the river spectating? Do we come along to church to hear, just to hear a good message and go back to our, to our, our environments and just live our comfortable life, comfortable with our circle of friends, not, not willing to reach out? What I want to do this morning, you know, I just sense, there's just weight on my sense. People need to come up and settle with some stuff of God this morning just in that area. Settle some stuff of God. God's here. You know, if we come to God and say, God, this is where I'm at. I realize that I'm here, you're over here. God, help me to shift from being here to being there. If we come, we open our hearts and we do that. We make room for God to come in. God didn't force himself on Gideon. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't force himself on him. God came, put Gideon on like a glove because Gideon opened his heart to him. He went away, spent time thinking about what God said to him. But God, if I'm to save Israel, I need you. I need you. God, come and help me. I feel scared. I'm afraid. God, come. Shift me from here to being where you are over here. I just want everyone to stand right now, please. Just stand. I just encourage you, please don't draw back now. We're just coming to, to, to close the service. But God's doing something here. I, I, I just, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling that God's speaking into hearts this morning. I'm asking you to respond this morning. What I'd love you to do is if that's you, if God's speaking to you this morning, and He's pressing on you, you know that you need to make just a shift, a shift in your focus, a shift in the way that you're reaching out and to others. I want you to come to the front this morning, okay? I want you to come this morning. Make it between you and God. There'll be people here to pray for you if, if you want prayer. But I want you to come forward this morning. I want you to come forward this morning. So we're going to flow into a worship song right now. And if that's you and God's speaking to you this morning, please don't reject them. Please don't close, let your heart close over. Please don't let your heart close over. You know, each of us have a great destiny in God and our destiny is tied up with Him. So we're going to flow into a song and open this up now. If God's speaking to you, come please.
Lord. You know, if you're in this building this morning and you don't know, you've never made a decision to receive Jesus. You've never made a decision to say, God, I want to come into right relationship with you. This morning would be a great morning to do that. God's heart yearns for you. He reaches out to you. And even as I preach this morning, you'd feel that pull. You feel that pull of the Spirit because He's pulling on you. He wants you to come. If that's you this morning, I'd love you to raise your hand. I'd love you to raise your hand right now just so I can see. I'd love you to raise your hand. If you're unsure and, and, and uh, you feel a bit nervous at raising your hand, please come and see me after the service. Please come and see me after the service. We're just going to pray now. We're going to pray for the ones at the front. And we're going to pray for the whole church. So I just love if you just pray with us. Father, we just thank you today that you're speaking to us as a church. I thank you that you're speaking to us, Lord. And I thank you that you're beginning, Lord, to just let your heartbeat be felt in this place. Your heartbeat, Father. Your heartbeat for the people out there. We come before you this morning. We repent, Father, from indifference as a church. And we just pray today that you would just help us continue that transition of shifting where we are to shifting into the, the, the flow, Lord, into your flow, into that river, into the things that you're doing at this time. We pray as a church that this will be a great soul-winning church. We pray across the churches of this region, Lord, that the churches of God will be a great soul-winning church across the region, Father. This morning, Lord, for those who have responded, I just thank you today for them. I just pray today as they come and they just put stuff out before you. Let this shift, Lord, that takes place in them. Let it, let it be real and let it be permanent, I pray. We just pray for your favour on this place, that we will be a soul-winning church, a soul-winning church that looks outward, not inward. Amen.